You're listening to another episode of Tech Writer Voices. I'm your host, Tom Johnson. Today I'm talking with Mark Hannigan, who is a former STC president, and he is a person who's been heavily involved in a lot of uh, STC chapters in the field and, and moving it forward. This podcast is is dedicated to uh, addressing all the latest trends and practices in the field of technical communication. And the reason I chose to interview Mark today is because I know he's been very progressive in his ideas of what technical writers can do and be and and how they can expand beyond their role. So before we get into the podcast, I just want to mention a few sponsors. Madcap Flare has has the most versatile XML-based help authoring tool on the market. Thousands of people are using it, including Microsoft, Google, HP, and others. Go check it out at madcapsoftware.com. Lunar Pages offers basic web hosting at $6.95, and when you sign up, you can get 350 gigabytes of storage and free tech support and all kinds of other tools. So check out lunarpages.com if you're you're interested in getting your own web host. Finally, Adobe uh, has come out with the Technical Communication Suite, which offers a complete authoring managing and publishing uh, tool for technical writers. And one more little quick mention, the STC Atlanta chapter is holding their annual Currents Conference, which takes place March 14 and 15 at Southern Polytechnic State University in, in the Marietta, Georgia campus. So Currents provides a great opportunity for technical communicators to expand their professional skills and to network with their peers. And the conference is open to any technical communication professional, regardless of skill level or position. So if you're interested in finding out more about STC Currents, definitely go check it out at stcatlanta.org currents. And I'll put the link in the show notes. They're going to have Jean-Luc Dumont as one of their, their main speakers. I've listened to Jean-Luc, and he's an excellent speaker. Uh, so definitely take advantage of the Currents Conference. Mark, have you ever been to this Currents Conference? Yeah, I actually keynoted it twice. Ah, okay. So is it worth going to? Oh, absolutely. And especially going up to Southern and then S. Carol Barnum's University and um, the conference is always excellent. Mike, you should be there, one of our candidates for second vice president this year. It's from the Atlanta chapter. It is a super chapter and a super conference. It's one of the older ones in STC. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed Mark Clifford is also speaking. So he's going to be the next STC president. Yes, he is. And Jean-Luc is absolutely a treat. Yeah. So, So, Mark, why is it, uh, why do you think that technical writers often limit themselves to thinking they can only do writing? That's an interesting question. And I think I want to start by providing a definition, if you will. To me, technical writing is a skill set and not an end profession per se. And when I say that, I mean that the opportunity to use the written word or multimedia or any form of technical communication is a skill set that you can apply in the business arena. If you look back historically at technical communication, there was a time when we were so specialized and the technology was such that things that could be done much more quickly today took enough time such that you needed a dedicated profession to do it. I would venture to imagine today that 
of all the people who do technical communication as perhaps 50% or more of their job responsibilities, I would venture to guess that less than half of them are actually labeled as technical writers today. So as for why do people uh, want to uh, limit themselves in what they do, I think maybe it's just not having a full understanding of what the other aspects of work opportunities are and perhaps just being a little bit afraid. So you said that at least 50% of their tasks are outside of technical writing or, or they do many other things. So what other kinds of things can people do besides just sit there and write? Well, the written word is such a, first of all, it's one of several ways in which information can be delivered. I mean, this podcast is a form of technical communication. Uh, certainly any kind of multimedia development and presentation, whether they be CBTs or WBTs or web pages or video or show me demos. Now, of course, you could make the argument that all of them are backed by a written script, and I would not disagree with that. What was the rest of the question, please, Tom? I'm sorry. Well, I'm just trying to get a feel for the other tasks that you think technical writers could and should be involved in. I know you, you have presented on UML before. Do you want to talk a little bit about that as another task they can do? I, I do want to get into that a little bit, but let me go ahead and uh, add a little to this uh, more high-level aspect of the question you're asking. When you think about what we do for a living, unless we are sitting in a cubicle in a vacuum and there is a constant feed of input data that we turn and process and regurgitate as technical documentation deliverables, we're doing a whole lot of other tasks besides writing anyway. When you um, go to complete documentation on a given user product, for example, you have to go and not only interview the individuals who have developed the product, you not only have to do that, you have to research the product. Perhaps you'll be researching it through a series of design documents, but you also have to go and interview and understand who the intended end users are, how they're going to use the product, how the product fits into their overall business methodology, and address it from that end. So just in that little example, you're not only wearing the hat of technical communicator, but you're wearing the hat of an interviewer. Perhaps you're wearing a hat as a methodologist because perhaps the tool that you're documenting is going to change the business process and you need to understand that. And while you're documenting the corresponding methodology, the business process, if, excuse me, that's what I meant to say, uh, you may have an effect on, on changing it. So there, there's an array of hats that people put on. Now, the other aspect of it that really forces us to think outside the traditional linear box of being a technical writer of end-user products is that businesses today are looking for things faster, better, cheaper. And part of faster, better, cheaper, one of the key components in our arena, is to be able to go in and have a content reuse strategy and start developing our documentation deliverables, not only for the end-users, but also for the development lifecycle which kind of segues nicely into your question a moment ago about UML. UML, or Unified Modeling Language, is an industry standard that was 
embraced by pretty much all the big players back around 1995. Now, UML has a set of 14 or so deliverables that are that are drawings. They're effectively variations of flowcharts. You know, there's really nothing new under the sun. We just go in and repackage and relabel things and and uh, re redeliver them under these new names and new marketing schemes. But in this case, it was a good thing that happened because what was going on in the early 1990s is a whole bunch of the big players in software development, i.e. Microsoft, IBM, Rational at the time. DEC was part of the players at the time. Of course, DEC doesn't exist anymore as a company that was uh, purchased by Compaq, who in turn was purchased by HP. So the landscape changes. And I mention that because it's a good thing regarding UML or Unified Modeling Language because that is um, under the uh, ownership protection of a group called OMG, which is a nonprofit consortium for maintenance of standards. Now, those 14 drawing types are called UML artifacts. What they mean to us as technical communicators is, well, let me backtrack for a second. These UML artifacts, these, these flowchart-type drawings, these, they go hand-in-hand hand with a series of documentation deliverables that are created following something called the software development lifecycle or lifecycle methodology. And that, again, is something that's not really new under the sun because it follows horse sense in terms of when you're sitting down to do a project, you're going to figure out, well, what is it that I'm doing? Why am I doing it? And what exactly do I want the product to do? And you sit down and you identify these things in painstaking detail called business requirements. Then you go to the folks who are developing it, and they develop corresponding technical requirements. And then they go and they build the product, and you go back and forth with the end user, and you test it, and then you make sure that it plays well with other systems and products that are already in place. Then you deliver it. You teach the people how to use it. You teach the people who are going to be responsible for maintaining it how to maintain it. Those are people like tech support, help desk. And then at the end of the day, you sit and look and go, wow, this went right. This didn't go so good. And you have what we call post-mortem. All of those fundamental steps are things that people have been following probably for 100 years in terms of building, uh, designing, building, and testing things and then delivering them. We've simply codified them into this life cycle methodology, and this UML, this set of UML artifacts, serves as a form of notation to capture the information in a visual form from the onset of the project, from the conceptual stage where you do a conceptual data model down into the design stage where you build things like activity diagrams, which really are process flowcharts, and then you go on and you build data models, which are more likely to be built by developers. Now, of these 14, there's really two fundamental groups. One is what's known as static UML artifacts, and the other are dynamic UML artifacts. 
the dynamic ones are ones that are really beneficial to technical communicators at all levels. And the reason I say that is they provide source material for developing business requirements. In fact, the business requirements and the type of UML artifact known as the activity diagram, and which then rolls up into another one that's known as a use case model, they feed each other. You could sit down and do a chicken or egg argument. Do I develop my business requirements and the activity diagrams from them, or do I develop my activity diagram and then uh, grab the business requirements out of the activity diagram itself? So you're talking about about doing all these diagrams for the entire uh, lifecycle development methodology and producing all this documentation related to requirements. It seems like the distance between a technical writer and a project manager is getting pretty thin. Do you think technical writers can expand like into the role of project manager? Absolutely. And in fact, when you think about a technical communicator, when a technical communicator, even at the base level, has an assignment to develop a product, they are, in fact, de facto project managers of a one-person project. Now, you expand that and you take our, our innate attention to detail, our understanding of all aspects of the project. I think it's a very natural career path progression for a technical communicator to evolve into the project management arena. Not only that, but some other areas. If you take, let me just step back. Say you are a technical communicator and you're involved in a project from its inception. And that means from the, the project planning and initiation stage all the way through. And you are stepping through each stage of a software development lifecycle. One of the first alternate hats that a technical communicator can put on is that of being business analyst. A business analyst, in my view, is a specialized form of technical communicator who historically makes better money than a technical communicator in an overall average. And the reason is is because they are perceived as bringing more uh, research skills, uh, more understanding of concepts and translation into reality. Uh, these are just speculations on my part as to why, but it's definitely a fact that the overall average is higher in that area. Now, you take that one step further as the technical communicator is evolving and developing these LCM deliverables. They are, in fact, developing a foundation for the end-user products which ironically at one time was our mainstay. Now to me, it's just one of many pieces of the pie of documentation deliverables. And then further, you carry it through and you're getting towards the uh, testing area, the test scripts that a technical communicator can develop from your activity diagrams can then turn around and evolve into your user documentation. By the end of a project, the technical communicators become a de facto subject matter expert on the product itself. Thus, if a technical communicator is so inclined to do instructional design and then perhaps stand-up training or podcasts, webcasts, web-based training modules, all of these opportunities are at the feet of the technical communicator as well. And in my viewpoint, by that 
that role embracing a wider array of responsibilities for a project, you are, as a technical communicator, demonstrating a wider array of value. You're providing value to the company at a better price overall because you now have one individual wearing several hats instead of having to have multiple individuals each wearing one of those individual hats, whether it be a business analyst, technical communicator, methodologist, instructional designer, or trainer. At one time, when you looked at a project, there would be one individual under each one of those hats. Now, one size fits one person who can perform all those roles. Now, a lot of times in a in a department, people are are very categorically labeled business analysts or project manager, and the technical writer is labeled technical writer. And it's hard to to go beyond that role to to jump into something larger uh, to to suddenly become a business analyst. How do you avoid from being pigeonholed into documentation only tasks? I think that that's a question that's going to have a complex array of answers. You're right about that. In some companies and in some areas where people have been focused on one mindset, they do think of these things as discrete roles, as do many people who call themselves technical communicators. I think where it starts is with us as technical communicators, uh, certainly getting involved in um, professional organizations, including STC, including other organizations, like if you have a training bent, American Society for Training and Development, or you're interested in project management, getting involved in PMI, which is the Project Management Institute, you learn a wider array of skills, more specialized, and come to realize that they're very close to what you already know anyway. And then it's up to the technical communicator to market him or herself to the other individuals, the project managers, the appropriate departments within the company saying, hey, wait a minute. Why do we have this separate entity of business analyst and technical communicator? I can help you with both, and we can provide deliverables that are faster, better, cheaper, and here's why. And you go on and explain to them what you can bring the table to the table. It is up to us to recognize this opportunity and posture ourselves. I have made this transition myself probably some 15 years ago and have actually been kind of preaching this, if you will, to technical communicators for that whole time. Because if you step back at a higher level and you look at the big picture, what we call end-user documentation, the what we used to call user guides, and then they evolved into these online help systems that go with end-user products, these are now commodities. Once upon a time, a technical communicator commanded a good salary to develop and deliver these types of entities because, in fact, they were, in the early 1990s, were making salaries that were approaching the corresponding software developers and even the hardware individuals because hardware was stronger back then. But with the globalization and with the outsourcing to different areas of the world that have become specialized in different aspects of project development, End-user documentation has been one of those entities <clears throat> that is now perceived as something that can be quasi-outsourced. 
And some of the reasons for that are that, you know, delivery online um, makes it quick and easy to deliver something. The shelf life of products is so much shorter that people are not willing to spend the development time and development dollars on providing the highest quality documentation deliverables. You know, the competition, our competitors are getting their products out to the market, so we've got to get ours out just as quickly. So one of the efficiencies that can be gained is to start thinking of yourself in all those roles, wearing all those hats, and you're in fact developing your documentation deliverables even at the earliest stages of the life cycle methodology. When I worked for one of my clients in Orlando, uh, I think that the I, once in a while in everybody's life, the ideal project happens. And we, in fact, sat down, developed business requirements, and based on business requirements, developed the end-user documentation before software development even began. The end-user documentation was then um, exported into the testing application, and testing scripts were evolved from that. The software developer used the end-user documentation and the UML artifacts as a set to actually develop and deliver the software application such that everything matched one-to-one for the steps. Now, that doesn't happen very often, and I know I'm off on a tangent a little bit with that, but that is one possibility when you can imagine yourself delivering in all those areas and wearing all those hats. Mark, you said that that about 15 years ago you began to make this transition to move past just doing technical writing. Was there anything that enabled you to do this transition? Did you just suddenly start marketing yourself or did, I mean, what happened that that allowed you to, to expand suddenly? Well, it wasn't a sudden expansion so much as let, let me step back and uh, put a couple of other items on the table regarding 15 years ago. If you look back to the previous generations of people who worked in the workplace, most people, when they got jobs, they worked for one, maybe two companies for their entire career. It was not uncommon to see someone from the beginning of their career right out of college or right out of trade school to take on and go to a company and grow with the company. Not only that, but companies were generous about developing career growth for the individuals, providing courseware, training informal and formal both inside the company and outside through professional organizations and companies who specialize in training. When the early 1990s, there was this era that was known as downsize, upsize, right size, and huge layoffs. We were effectively paying for a bludgeoned government buildup that happened in the late 1980s with huge programs, and it came time to pay the bill. And the fallout from it was that companies began to look at a different kind of model for uh, staffing their organizations. They staffed for the proverbial valleys, that is, that they would have direct employees that were enough to meet the minimum requirements and then supplemented them with two things, contractors and consultants domestically and began to look overseas for outsourcing opportunities to develop um, ways to cut costs. All that 
when all this shift happened, the shift of responsibility for an individual to maintain his or her skill set and to keep the training, both informal and formal, and professional development, fell back on the shoulders of the individual. The proverbial benevolent big brother who was going to watch out for the individual's career became somewhat a thing of the past. So um, I had the opportunity through my speaking at various STC chapters and, and seeing what's going on in the profession, just talking to folks, to come to an understanding that the wave of the future was going to be in individuals diversifying their skill sets, offering a wider array of um, roles in which they could play. So I began moving in that direction. It also happens to be in a subset that is of specific interest to me, and that's in the area of software development and corresponding methodology. But there are other way, other areas that have opened up for folks. I mean, you know, just I'm talking about my particular flavor, but you look at other people who've gone and become specialists as independents working for their own companies. I mean, I have colleagues who specialize in developing content management systems and content management strategy, and they go into companies and say, okay, here's my area of specialization. I can bring that to you. So I do want to kind of stress that there's still room on the on the horizon for people who want to specialize in areas, but in terms of providing for a wider array of opportunities, individual diversification is, in my view, the best way to go. What kind of tools and, and technologies or languages do you think people should know who want to go beyond the role? You were talking about UML as one. I imagine... Uh, Microsoft Project might be another. What are the kind of tools you think people should be aware of and, and be familiar with if they want to go beyond writing? I think that it's um, that changes every day. It changes every year, if you will. Uh, if I were to, we were having this conversation two years ago, I would say to you, wow, everybody needs to understand the nuances of Sarbanes-Oxley, for example which is offering, from a business perspective, opportunities for technical communicators. Uh, three years prior to that, it was ISO 9000. I would say today that it's PCI DSS, the payment card industry, data security, data system security, I think that's the last three. That's going to be huge. That's the next Sarbanes-Oxley in the business arena. Tool sets change with the, with the wind as well. I mean, um, you know, certainly... Uh, if I go back to the 1980s when I was really getting involved in information technology, understanding VACs and DEC equipment on the hardware arena was huge. DEC was second only to IBM. As I mentioned earlier, that company went from being the second largest computer company in the world to being swallowed up by a company which is in turn swallowed up by another company. Certainly Microsoft is one of the dominant players on today's market, but they're in a little bit of trouble with their Vista. Is that going to blow them out? I doubt it. I think that they'll overcome that. So now you look at, like, if you're in a Microsoft world, uh, SharePoint is stepping forward as the dominant collaboration platform, and that is an area that we need to understand. Uh, SharePoint 
2007 MOSS is definitely a driver. Uh, if you live in the Apple world, I, I can't even think of the new operating system. Is it uh, Leopard? Leopard. You know, uh, you know, Apple seems to have maintained its niche market, certainly in those people who work as um, artists, you know, people in the entertainment industry, teachers. They, they're so loyal to their Apple. And, of course, in the business world, we're pretty much, for better or worse, more or less, in the MS arena. Uh, certainly, pure developers like to go in the Linux direction. And, there are, you know, Sun, there are those who prefer the Sun platform. Now, you mentioned something earlier. You mentioned the STC. And I know you've always been involved in the STC. How, how or why have you continued to stay an active STC member? Has it helped your career? I mean, what, what are you getting out of it? Well, yeah, I really enjoy it. So, one of the things, just from a personal aspect, is that I have developed some professional colleagues and friendships over the many years, including yourself, and um, so I enjoy that aspect. But one of my philosophical beliefs is, is that individually, um, there's, well, let me step to say this, there is so much change happening. Uh, technology changes at a rapid clip. There are so many tools, there are so many technologies happening so rapidly that individually none of us can keep up with it on our own. My philosophy is individually we don't know it all, but collectively we do. And for me to be able to talk to colleagues and find out what other people are exploring and experimenting and learning about in terms of tools, technologies, trends in our area, it affords me uh, instant information access. I mean, I'll give you an example. The, uh, the SIG, or Special Interest Group Network, that STC provides. I was doing research on content management tools, so we could develop a content management strategy at the content chunk level. And there's an array of tools out there, and there's open source opportunities as well. And I was able to post questions on three of the SIGs that were relevant to this. And before I knew it, within a day, I'm getting, you know, literally a dozen, 15 answers on each one of these from people literally all over the world who are sharing with me their experiences. And we are uh, social beings, we humans, and we have a lot in common with each other uh, that we can share and people like to share with each other. And STC provides an avenue for doing so. I love the virtual environment. I love the changes that are happening, but I still especially enjoy going to conferences such as the current you mentioned at the beginning and especially the annual conference each year where you gather 2,000 people who think like you and I, who have a common baseline of understanding within our respective professional arenas and are, frankly, excited about the types of things. All right, Mark, last question here. If you are hiring a technical writer, what is the single most important quality you would look for? I have to pick one, huh? That's a tough one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to have to answer that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that someone who is well-grounded in the fundamentals of their craft and has an aptitude for the industry or industries in which they want to work 
and is not afraid to change with the changes that are happening all around in terms of technologies and trends and tools. Um, I will look at what a person presents. If they, you know, the first thing I look at is their resume and see if it subscribes to the fundamental tenets of good, solid writing and that they've used whatever tool to deliver this document to me on to make sure that they take enough pride to have learned the fundamentals and then through the interview try to learn what they would do in situations for change. Um, Would they be comfortable with changing with a tool? I remember one year that I interviewed a woman who had a pretty adequate portfolio. When I say adequate, it was worth having a conversation. And um, in the interview, she asked me what tool we use for documentation development. I said, well, we're using MS Word, one of the industry standards, for better or worse. And she said, good, I use Word version 6.0C. I'm very comfortable with that. I said, well, we happen to have moved on to, I'm thinking back, it was like Windows 95 would have been Word 7. I'm not positive. It's been too many years. But the point being, it was one level up. She said, oh, no, I don't want to use that. I want to use 6.0C. And I've come to understand all the nuances of that, and I don't want to use that other one. I can even bring my own. Well, this is, of course, was silliness on her part, and obviously she did not get the job. And it does illustrate at a simple level the point that we all have to be willing to adapt to change. This very podcast that you are presenting is a wonderful tool. And and I must admit, it made me a little bit nervous at the onset about wanting to be taped and having answers provided without providing forethought. But it's a very interesting way to present information. Definitely. Well, Mark, uh, we've talked for a while here, and I've really <clears throat> I've really enjoyed hearing your perspective and your answers. I knew that you that you had this message, and I wanted to I wanted it to get out to a lot of people. Um, is there anything that we didn't cover that you really want to, to um, talk about in this last little bit here? Um, not that I can think of, but maybe we can do a follow-up someday. Sure. All right, Mark. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. And uh, if people want to learn more about Mark or their STC chapter, I'll put some notes in the, the podcast show notes. They're welcome to contact me at my email address, if you could include that. It's O N W R. I-T-E-T-R-K at AOL.com. All right. I'll definitely include that. Thanks, Mark.